This is the Thursday, April 29th edition of the Daily Wager Podcast. Happy draft day, everyone. We made it. It is Christmas morning, although we got to wait to the evening to opening our presents. But in and out in less than 10 minutes, we will have some plays for you. Welcome to the Daily Wager Podcast, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. I am Doug Kazarian, joined by Tyler Fuljam. Tyler, are you ready for this uh, big evening? I'm just ready to hear that 32 times tonight. I know, and see the man hugs, the bro hugs are back with uh, (laughs) Roger Goodell getting vaccinated. He got clearance from the powers that be. Uh, obviously last year was unique with the families and kind of kind of cool in a lot of ways it's just sad that we why we were doing it that way but it was fun last year maybe they're going to incorporate some of that this year with some of the family reaction the kids run around all that but more importantly we have some money to make and a lot of props out there obviously in the in the the numbers for the most part have been hardened into place but not this isn't exactly Sunday morning in the NFL week six these uh there's still some opportunities here my first one is something Seth Walder brought up and I want to give him a you know, tip of the cap and he, he nailed this one because it's a lot of uh, conference over-unders are out there five and a half for the ACC and it's basically a mistake line but you got to call or you got to go to the message boards the help section make sure that Notre Dame is included so for example out here William Hill included Notre Dame in the ACC because those players played in the ACC last year but I talked to MGM and they said it does not include the Notre Dame. Uh, so that's obviously a big difference when you could have two guys, I think. So over five and a half for books that include Notre Dame in the ACC, that's an automatic, that's basically a layup. So basically a mistake line, but that's not your problem. So if you can get over five and a half and make sure that ACC is included, then that's gold. Tyler, what do you got? Yeah, the first one um, I'll get to, well, I'll just go ahead and mention one of those ACC Notre Dame players, Jeremiah Owosu Koromora or Koromoa, pardon me, the linebacker, under 19.5 for his draft position, plus 105. So you make an extra five cents for the dollar you invest if you cash this ticket. But uh, Owosu Koromoa is the prototype for the future at linebacker. He's a little bit undersized at like 225, 230, but he has tremendous sideline to sideline range and coverage ability and coverage instinct. So Micah Parsons is kind of like the you know, not old school, but that, you know, Bobby Wagner type, that Devin White type. And those are good players. Don't get it twisted. That, we obviously saw what Devin White did for Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. But Owosu Koromoa, I think, is going to be five years from now the prototype that you want at linebacker. A little bit smaller, a little bit faster, a little great in coverage, can still go downhill and attack and, um, you know, hit, hit at the line of scrimmage and stop in the run game. But he's going to be a tremendous asset to defensive coordinators as a coverage linebacker in the NFL. And that's so important when you want to match up with tight ends at that position and running backs at that position. The Alvin Kamara's, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Travis Kelsey's, and now the Kyle Pitts is coming into the game. Owosu Koromoa, I think, is going to be best suited to do that. So under 19 and a half, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's the first linebacker off the board because of some of those character issues with Micah Parsons, but I think he's going to be a top 19 pick because one defense is going to look at him as, wow, this guy is a chess piece for our defense that we can leave on the field for all three downs. I like it. Style and uh, fit for an evolving NFL. So it's a really smart way to look at things. There's a guy that's not on uh, that high on a lot of draft boards. I want to mention this guy named Tyler uh, Campbell. He is a DB at from Georgia. And he's just today made it into McShay's mock in the end of the first round. 
I know uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him pretty high. Zerline has him pretty high. And his over-under is 46 and a half. So that's mid-first round about. Was 50 and a half come down. I think with corners, look, we know about what you're just talking about, the evolution of the league, right? We know quarterbacks, blindside, wide receivers, and DBs are the most kind of uh, sought-after positions. And if there's a run on DBs, right, we, we may see Farley go on the first round, in addition to the guys at the top and even Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, Campbell's right there. Obviously, he's from Georgia. I think Mel was talking about how he didn't have a lot of interceptions, but you can teach that. He has the, the body type. He's long um, and tall, so that, that could be a good fit. But 46 and a half, when you have a lot of teams at the top of the draft that are going to take whether they're QB or their offensive tackle that will need to go DB at the beginning of the second round. I think under 46 and a half is a really strong play for a guy a little bit off the radar, but it's hard to find value. I mean, obviously, I still like pits. I still right. like all that stuff, but the juice <laughs> is now finally catching up to where it should be in the $3, 350 range on the pits under. So I would go Tyler Campbell under five and a half, or excuse me, 46 speak, and a half. Yeah. Speaking of value, you know, I like to find those plus value prices. And one that's really stood out to me that I don't think I've mentioned here on the podcast is the Detroit lions selecting quarterback with their first pick in this draft at plus four fifty. We know they traded for Jared Goff, but they didn't trade for Goff necessarily to be the replacement for Matt Stafford. They traded for Goff because the Rams were willing to throw in two extra first round draft picks in 2022 and 2023. So if you have an opportunity at seven to draft a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields because they fall, or even Mac Jones, if they think he'd be worthwhile, there will be a good quarterback available at seven. We know that because it doesn't appear Atlanta, Cincinnati, or uh, Miami is going to select a quarterback unless someone trades up in front of those spots. But at plus 450, I think it'd be wise for the Lions to get another quarterback in there, and then you can use this season to figure out which one of those two kind of premium assets can be your quarterback of the future. Goff has a track record in the NFL, despite his limitations. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's still only 26 years old. He's a former number one overall draft pick. Then whoever you get at seven could be the competition, and you spend this year where it's a lost year for the Lions. They're not trying to compete. Figuring out which of those QBs is going to be the QB of the future. Then you use the other one as an asset to acquire more draft picks to use in 2023 and 2022 when you have two first-rounders in each of those drafts. And then you can build around whoever that's going to be, whether it's golf, whether it's fields, whether it's Lance, whoever it would likely be the pick they make this year at seven. And, and if golf plays well this year and, you know, it kind of exceeds expectation, then you have an even more valuable trade ship moving forward. So I just think it'd be really wise for the lions, especially since this is a lost year to draft a quarterback and then have two chances at hitting on the franchise piece to build around in 2022 and beyond. Okay. I like it. The presentation, the thought process, into the weeds, which is what we need to basically do to kind of find inefficiencies. So why not uh, get that QB? Because you're right. It is not a, really a uh, win now mentality. But you think a guy like Dan Campbell who eats kneecaps will want to keep it? <laughs> we shall. We shall see. God, I, I literally, uh, when's it going to stop? We should have a prop bet on when, when will we mention the Lions and not mention Dan Campbell eating kneecaps? I, I would say October 1st would probably be my. My prop on that. Yeah, I'm going to take the over or past that, especially <laughs> with you, because you love mentioning that with Dan Campbell, his kneecap preference or tastes, I should say. Yeah, the palate <laughs> of kneecaps. Um, uh, we're going to round things out in the NBA. Uh, look, we all took a kind of one on the chin for the Warriors the other mm -hmm. night, but I mean, Steve Kerr called it the most important game of the year. Sorry. Sorry for thinking that they would be ready to play that game. Uh, I think they bounce back. I like them in the first quarter here. Look, we know about. I've talked about it a bunch. Lineup changes, things like that. We, we know inefficiencies in the market. If the Warriors 
have a point spread of four, which is what the game line is here. The first half line is going to be based off that. The first quarter line is going to be based on that. But if Steph Curry plays the entire first quarter and only half the second, then that's skewed in, in a pro, uh, incorrectly. So uh, I think it's just going to be a good start. And they're not that deep. No Damian Lee, no Bazemore. Uh, Pascal may play the latest I read. But in general, it's about Steph and Draymond and uh, some of the other guys. Like Poole, Jordan Poole came in early earlier than he normally does for offense because Kerr wanted it, although they couldn't score at all. I'll still lay the the short number in the first quarter with the Warriors. I, I just expect them to come out, you know, be ready to play. And T-Wolves are playing a lot better of late. They're almost 500 their last 20 games. So the new coach has turned things around, but still I'll take the Warriors coming off that embarrassing loss. Yeah, and I'll turn to the Nets-Pacers matchup, and I like the Nets team total going over 125 and a half, and that's because the Pacers have become – you know, one of the fastest paced teams in the NBA this season. Um, and I think that trend is going to continue against the uh, Nets here. Um, rather than play the over, which is 243, I think that's just way too high. I'll just isolate the team that's got the more efficient offense, KD and Kyrie against the Nets team that's just playing at a breakneck pace. Um, so I love that. And that's kind of how I'm going to approach that Nets um, Pacers game with that massive total. I'll just isolate the team I think is more likely to eclipse theirs. Yep, totally can get behind that one. Uh, Pacers starting Jakar Sampson. We've talked about it on this pod. They are going small ball to the nth degree, and they're thus the the the, the, the Nets are just going to thrive and off that. All right, my man. Well, I will see you later in the studio. We have an earlier show for those that are downloading and listening to this early in the day, 4 p.m. Eastern, both today and tomorrow, and then also Saturday morning at noon Eastern. So a lot of uh, action-packed weekend with the Kentucky Derby looming. We'll have plays on that on Friday, but like we do, Every weekday, and as promised, in and out in less than 10 minutes.